Third grade was a traumatic time. Um, I, I don't know for some of you if, if you remember third grade. Some of you, that's the year you, you stopped going to school because uh, they told you three tries was too many. But third grade was, was a traumatic time <laughs> for, for me because a slip of the tongue changed the course of my schooling. My teacher was, was talking to the whole class. Mrs. Doring was her name. And yes, that does in fact rhyme with Mrs. Boring, but don't tell her that. You'll go to the principal's office. I heard. Um, and so Mrs. Doring looked out across the whole room and she said, some of you just have fat fingers and will never be able to write neatly. And I don't know how this happened, but the entire room looked at me. And I just burst into tears. Um, I, it's one of those things like everyone knew who she was talking about. And I was like, who's, who's who? fingers writing? Because I, I had the worst handwriting. I, I, I got in trouble for it all the time. They would have to, I'd have to redo papers because they couldn't read what I wrote. And, and, and I'll never forget, because she didn't mean for it to come out that way, but everyone knew what she was saying and what she was doing. And they all just stared right at me. And the tears came, and she realized what she'd done. So she sent the rest of the room back, back over to their desk, and, and it was just me and her over by her desk. And I'm just sobbing uncontrollably. And she starts to say, I know you're really good at soccer, you're really good at this and that, and I'm sure, da, da, da. and she's like, you know, but this is just not going to be your thing. And, and, I, and I tried. She sent home extra work to work on, on, on writing assignments, and I, and I would try and color extra and did all the things, but I just, I think I was destined to be a doctor, I just don't have the brains to do it. And so God was like, well, you can just type for a living, be a preacher. Like, I, I don't know what happened, but it, it's so funny because I remember that day vividly. And I remember how bad it hurt. And I remember, I mean, every time pen touches paper in my hand, I think about Zale Doring. And I think about that day, and, and it stings just a little bit. If you've ever gotten a card from me in the mail, you've thought, that boy has fat fingers and will never be able to write neatly. But I remember another day vividly, too. I was a senior in high school, and we had an intern at the church that I grew up at, and his name was Travis Whalen. And I, when you're in high school, College kids are always just cooler than you could ever imagine. And Travis was that guy. Travis was the coolest, the, the most awesome guy. I loved him. And one day in the mail, I, I got a card. And you know how it feels to get mail? Um, now that we're all adults, it's not as fun to get mail that has the window because it's a bill. <laughs> but mail that you know was intended just for you. And, and I opened the card and Travis said, I just wanted to tell you this story. He said, the other day I was at the grocery store and your, your senior picture fell out of my wallet, and the cashier saw it, and he said, I don't know what came over me, but he said, I showed her your picture. I said, this is Ben Stroop. And Travis goes on in the card, and he says, someday he's going to be somebody, and I just want you to know his name. And I'll never forget that card. I, I have it in my, in my nightstand at home. I, I think about it all the time, and, and I remember that there's somewhere in Kentucky a cashier who remembers this weird redheaded guy who told her about this blonde-haired kid, and my hair was entirely too long, who was going to be somebody. And, I, and, I, and it's amazing the difference 
between the two. That both of those moments are just stuck in my brain. And you know that feeling too. You know that story so well because your story isn't about a third grade teacher, but it's about a guy on a date. You know that story well because your story is not about a, a, a youth minister who sent you a card, but it's about somebody who the first time ever called you beautiful. You know that story because the pain that you carry isn't something that you can laugh about on stage because it still burns inside of you. You know this story all too well because it sounds just like your story. And so we, we dug into this series, Sticks and Stones, and we're talking about how words really have changed everything, right? Because you've heard the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And you know that there's nothing less true in any cliche of all time because bones heal, but words sting forever. And we've talked for, for a week now and for this week about how our words have the power to either hurt or help. Every word that we say to or about someone has the power to do one of two things, either to hurt them or to help them. And today, as we dig into to the, to today's topic of Debbie Downer, we talk about how often words hurt. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Rachel Dratch SNL skit of Debbie Downer, but it's this really kind of funny skit where every once in a while you'll just see a group of people, right, and they'll be eating dinner, and somebody will say, man, this, this dinner is, is delicious, and all of a sudden you hear, because it shows Rachel Dratch, and she's Debbie Downer, and she says, you know, thousands of people are starving right now. I wonder how they'd like this dinner. You know, it's, it's a good point, right? It's okay, you know, that, that's a valid, valid reminder. But then you're at a party, right? And, and all of a sudden everybody's like, man, there's so many people at this party. And then it shows Debbie Downer and she'll say, 24 million people die every second. So there, won't be less, there will be less people at this party soon. Right? Like that's what Debbie Downer does. Is she just has this ability to bring down the whole room in an instant. And, I, and I, we picked that because, because we were talking about how, how our words and other people's words have the power to just completely and drastically change everything. And that a negative word, a painful, a painful remark, a, an offhanded, backhanded compliment can change everything. And words matter. This week, just this week, Ikea released this, this really interesting story. Here's the thing about Ikea. Some of you know what they are. Ikea is a Swedish furniture company. Um, Ikea is actually the Swedish word for you and your spouse will fight, right? Um, I've heard that about other people. Whitney and I are waiting on our first fight eight years into marriage, um, so, but, but Ikea is famous because when you buy their furniture, you have to assemble like every piece together and it's, and it's this difficult thing. But, but, but they did this really cool experiment where they took two plants in one of their stores. They put two of the exact same potted plants in the exact same environment. They had the same dirt, the same amount of water, the same amount of light, but they did two very different things. One plant, they said, they recorded over and over again negative remarks. You're not good enough. You're not strong enough. You won't be a part of the team. No one likes you. In fact, in the video, they even have little kids coming and recording the negative things that people have said to it. And so in this one plant, they, they played over and over again on a loop, the recordings of all of the negative things people said. 
On the other plant, they recorded the opposite. They recorded positive and, and enlightening things, encouraging things. And they, again, they had kids and adults alike record, you're beautiful, you're wonderful, you're great just as you are. But Ikea released this week the video, and they showed the difference between the two plants after three weeks of repeated amounts of, of encouragement and discouragement. And I want you to see in this picture, see the difference between the two plants. And you can, you can call it hokum, you can dismiss the science of the study, but, but I believe it. Because if you find somebody who spends all of their life around a Debbie Downer, if you find somebody who's been beaten down by words, you find someone who's been beat up by other people's words, and they'll look a lot like that wilted plant. You see, our words are powerful. That's why Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, says in Proverbs 18.21, the tongue has the power of life and death. Those who love it will eat its fruit. And your words, every single one of your words has the power for life or the power for death. And we're very intentional talking about this on Mother's Day. Mother's Day is one of the hardest days of the year for some people. It's a hard day for some people because being a mom was anything but a bed of roses. It's a hard day for other people because they never got to be a mom. And people have always asked those questions and people have always made it difficult on them and made it hard that this day is a little bit more difficult. For other people, their mom wasn't the picturesque, perfect mom that everybody else had. Their mom was the one who was cutting and, and stabbing and wounding all the time with their words. And so I wanted to take just a moment and ask you moms and dads, what words are your kids hearing? Are they hearing words that give them life, or are they hearing words that give them death? And I thought about this a lot, and I, and I thought about this question, especially with my own two kids, um, who, by the way, Abel did not actually fall off the stool. It looks like that, and I left it in on purpose because you all would think that. That's just how he gets off the stool. You know he didn't fall because his mother would not have stopped talking, or would have stopped talking if he fell, but she just went on like a champ because she knows that he's part, he's part stroop, and it's just going to be that way forever. But I thought about this, and, I, and somebody asked this question. So if, you're, if your kids became the last three things that you called them, if their life was defined by the last three things you called them, what would they be? And I thought for, for several minutes about what do you call them? How do you describe them? What will they be? And I've made it a point to make sure that I call them smart and brave, and I call them followers of Jesus, and I call them kind, because there are times when I want to call them overly talkative and won't stop eating. But their mom calls me that, and it's just, you know, that's between the two of us. And, I, and, I, and I've thought so much about the words that I give my boys, that the words need to be life. William Arthur Ward says, flatter me, and I may not believe you. Criticize me, and I may not like you. Ignore me, and I may not forgive you. But encourage me, and I will not forget you. Solomon knew what he was saying when he said in Proverbs 12, that the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. 
1866, when Abraham Lincoln was shot, they took a catalog, they took an inventory of everything that was in his pockets. And they found what you would expect in, in most normal men's pockets of the day. They, they found a pocket watch. They found, you know, some, some other essential items that, that men were carrying at the time. But one thing they found that has really kind of made the tale and that has always made this such an interesting thing is that inside of his wallet, they found newspaper clippings. And when they opened them up and they read them, they realized that these weren't just any day newspaper clippings. These were editorials about Lincoln. And they were specifically editorials from 1864 in the newspapers right up until the presidential election of 1864. But all of these editorials were ones that described him as a fearless leader, ones that described him as kind, compassionate, and smart, ones that described him as the kind of man we all hoped to be. And so the president of the United States, the man who led us out of the Civil War, a great, a great hero of our nation, had to carry with him newspaper clippings to every once in a while remind himself that the words of the reckless who pierced him like swords weren't true. And that's a hard, a hard thing to do, to remind yourself that those words are not true. The study says that for every one negative comment you hear, it takes somewhere between 7 and 20 positive compliments to overcome the one negative. And you know this to be true because the negatives ring out and the positives you almost don't even remember. Because what happens all too often is the negative comments become what defines us. Right here I am 23 years later telling you I can't write neatly because my third grade teacher told me I never would. And I, and I can go down a list of other things that, that people, that teachers, that friends, that, that other people in my life said, the negative things that they said that I, you know what, those, those things kind of define me in a way. And, and, I, and I, I, I want you to know that my heart breaks because there are some of you in this room who have only ever heard the cuts who have only ever heard the negativity, who have only ever heard the bad things. And I want you to know that my heart hurts for you. And that my heart hurts because, because you believe those things to be true, because I believe those things to be true, and I have to constantly remind myself these things are not true. And I knew I wasn't alone in this, so I reached out to several of my friends, and I said, hey, I, I wonder if there's words that have cut you before. I wonder if there's things that have hurt you before. And, and so I asked my friends to help, and we made this video. And this video is, is so, so, so powerful of a reminder to you that the words that other people say may seem to define you, but they don't. So check this out with me.
Those are words that stung for years. Those are comments that the person who said them might not even remember the day they said it, but the person who heard it has held on to it for a lifetime. And you want to know the most heartbreaking part about that video? Is I know several people who we reached out to said, hey, will you, will you do this video for us? Here's what we want to do. And they said, I, said, I can't do it. I said, it hurts too much. It stings too deep. And my friends, those, those are people who, who are among us today. Those are people who, who live life with us, and, and the heart is still there. If you don't believe that words change everything, I want you to know they do. And so we must be careful with our words and speak life into those people. When you think about words, one of, the, one of the first people that would come to mind from the Bible is a guy named, uh, is a guy named Moses. Moses was, was kind of born into Pharaoh's family. Pharaoh was the leader of Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world at the time. And, and, and Moses w- was always second, second to his, his brother. And there's a, there's a big story that goes with Moses' upbringing. But what matters most is when Moses runs into a bush that is burning but does not burn up. And it's there in the burning bush that God says to Moses, Moses, you're going to go back to Egypt and you're going to lead those people. And Moses says, me? lead those people? He says, I, I, I'm hard of speech. I, I can barely talk. So how am I going to lead millions out of slavery? And God says, my Israelites, my people, so they've been in bondage long enough. And Moses says, I am not the guy for this job. And God says, I'm going with you. And so Moses goes to Pharaoh, and in front of Pharaoh, he demands that the Israelites be let go. They go through the ten plagues, and it's this fascinating story that happens in the book of Exodus that we don't have time to get all the way into today. But Moses leads the Israelites out of Egypt, and he leads them out into the desert because God has promised the Israelites the promised land. But through a course of events, it turns out that Moses can't lead them all the way into the promised land because Moses fell short. And so right on the cusp Right on the place of where God had promised them, Moses stands in front of the Israelites and he tells them, I can't lead you anymore. And he says, Joshua will be the one to lead. And Moses stands in front of millions of Israelites and he speaks life into Joshua in Deuteronomy chapter 31. It says, then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all of Israel, be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors to give them. And you must divide it among them at their inheritance. But catch this up. This is, this is what's so important right here. He says, the Lord himself, Joshua, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. In front of millions of Israelites, in front of millions of people who've been waiting for 40 plus years to get to the land that God had promised, Moses says, Joshua, you are going to lead us. But I want you to catch the encouragement that Moses gives. Moses doesn't say, Joshua, you're going to lead these people because you're smart. He doesn't say you're going to lead these people because you're kind or because you're the the best battle, the best warrior. 
He says, Joshua, you're going to lead these people because God is with you. You're going to lead these people into the promised land because God is going in front of you. And I believe that you can do this with God. You see, I think there's a very crucial difference. Because Moses could have said, Joshua, you can do it. And Joshua could have been like, I can do it. But difficulty would have come. Circumstances would have arisen. And things would have gotten difficult. But that's not the way it went. Instead, Moses says, God will lead you there, and you can do it through him. I think there's an important distinction to make in our encouragement and to our speaking of life of other people. And the important distinction is to understand that, that we are kind, we are great, we are good people, but really we're nothing without God. And so when we encourage and when we speak life, it's important for us to say, you know what? It's not just about me, but it's about God going before me and doing these things. One of my favorite authors is, is Donald Miller, and he's wrote several really good books. But one of the things that he wrote that stands out to me above all else is from a blog post that I, I can't believe more people don't read because it's just fascinating. But he talked in this blog post about how parents talk to their kids, and he said, one of the most damaging things you can do is say to your child, you're a great whatever. The example he uses in the blog is, you're a great soccer player. And he says, the reason that that's so harmful is that then your child thinks that the, the time my parents are most proud of me, the time my parents are, are, most, are most well with what I'm doing, is in the moments when I'm a great soccer player. Says, I, I have to be a soccer player. I have to be a great soccer player. And the pressure comes and it mounts and it, and, it, and it starts to crumble us. But he says, instead, talk about the joy of what they're doing. And so he says, rather than tell them they're a great soccer player, say, I loved it when you scored that goal. I loved it when I could see how much fun you were having. I loved it when I could see how hard you were playing. And he said, rather than letting them wrap their identity in what they've done, just let them see the joy that you feel when they see that joy. Don't compliment them on who they are, but what they do. Because here's what happens when, when you talk about speaking life and speaking death. Um, inevitably, somebody will be like, sounds like some snowflake stuff, Right? positive speech, self-esteem. We didn't need that back in the day. And, and that would be a fair argument to talk about how we talk to people if you didn't read into Scripture and see how often Scripture talks about our words. You see, this isn't a New Age philosophy that somebody came up with 10 years ago thought, hey, maybe we should work on this. These are the kinds of things that are embedded in the foundations of what we believe as followers of Jesus. This is, not, this is not a new thing that people just kind of talk about from time to time. This is from the very core and the very beginning of the earth that God had an importance placed on our words. One of the people who's most well-known for their words in the Bible is a guy named Peter. You might remember Peter. He was one of the disciples of Jesus. He followed him very closely. But the thing Peter's most known for is he was always the one in the group who spoke up and said what everybody else was probably thinking, right? And like he put his foot in his mouth all the time. He always, had to, he always managed to say the wrong thing at the wrong time. And in fact, my favorite story about Peter is that he was so prone to action and, and to, to being first that when Jesus gets arrested, Peter's the one who cuts off the ear of one of the soldiers because he's just like ready for battle. And Jesus is like, no, 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 this isn't how this goes. 
But Peter, one of the guys who's, who's all about his words, one of the guys who's so, so emphatic, who's so outspoken, do you know what he says in the, in the book of 1 Peter chapter 4? He says, he died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may, or sorry, he says, I read that wrong. That's my fault. You should say nice things about me when I make mistakes. Peter says, if anyone speaks, they should do as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever. Amen. Peter says that when you speak, speak with the words of God. And the words of God are one that encourage, the one that build up. The words of God are words that change. Words matter. Adding value to people's life, speaking life to people matters. I know, I know the hesitancy, and I know the expectation, and I know, I know the shame. But I want you to know that this is the kind of thing that you and I can make a difference in. You see, there are people in this room who are hurt. We are people who are hurt. The old phrase goes that hurt people hurt people. You know, people who are hurt hurt other people. But the story of Jesus is the story of hurt people who can be changed, of hurt people who can be rescued, of hurt people who can see life again. Paul writes a letter in the New Testament to a group called the Thessalonians. And one of the interesting things about, about Thessalonians is Thessalonians is very themed on the idea of what we would call Armageddon, the apocalypse. The people of Thessalonica were, were obsessed with when the day Jesus comes back. And hear me out, Jesus will come back at some point and all of everything will change. But the people of Thessalonica 2,000 years ago were convinced it was happening tomorrow. And so everything that they did and everything that they thought was, if Jesus comes back tomorrow, we want to be ready. Chris, if you'll, if you'll spin back and bring up what, what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, uh, it's like two slides together. He says that he died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live together for him. And he says, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things, so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power. And here's this, here's this moment. Here's this, here's this hesitation. Where you, you look at me and you hear me say, speak life in your words. But enough people in enough moments of your life have spoken death. And so you, you sit here week after week, or you sit here for the first time, and you're only here because mom wanted you to come to church today, or, or you hear this and you've heard it a thousand times, and you think, this doesn't mean me. This doesn't apply to me. Here, here's where this goes for you. This does apply to you. This is your life. That Jesus came to give you life. And so the words that I want to speak to you, the words that I want you to speak to other people, the words that I want you to hear are words of life.
One of the most famous verses in all of the Bible is in John chapter 3, verse 16. And it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. That's, that's the official version. That's what people say. But, but what I do every time somebody wants to talk to me about getting baptized, every time somebody wants to talk to me about finding life in Jesus, is we write this on a board. And when we say it this way, we say, listen, I want you to pause and where it says the world, I want you to say your name. And then it says where it says if that whoever believes, I want you to say your name again. Because the truth of all of the story of Jesus, because the truth of all of the story of Scripture, of all of the story of earth, is that it all boils down to this moment. And that it all boils down to the life that Jesus promised. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Together, I want to read this verse. And so Chris is going to bring it back up on the screen. And we're going to read it. I want to pause because there's always the literal person in the room where it says your name. I want you to say your actual name. Now I know. I'm going to bust you to it. And somebody's going to say, for God so loved your actual name. It's not funny, okay? But I want to read this together. And I want to speak this life into us today to remind ourselves that God found us so valuable, that God found us so important that he gave his only son. Are you ready? For God so loved Ben that he gave his one and only son that if Ben believes, he will not die but spend eternity in heaven. This is the life that I want to speak into you today is the life that no matter how broken, no matter how battered, no matter how ashamed, no matter how many times you've done wrong, no matter how many times someone else has spoken death into your life, what I want you to know above everything else, above anything else, is that God so loved you. Is that God so loved you as a person, as a soul, as an individual, that he gave his only son, that Jesus, God, God on high, became God in the flesh and moved into the neighborhood. And what I want you to know is this, is that he so loved you that he gave his one and only son, and Jesus came to this earth not to be a good person, not to be a good teacher, but to give his life so that you can live for eternity in heaven. So here in the next couple of minutes, the guys are going to pass the communion trays. And they're going to pass you the bread and they're going to pass you the cup. And those represent his body broken for us, his blood poured out for us. But here's what I want you to do. We're going to put the words back up on the screen. And over the next couple of minutes, as you take the bread and you take the cup, and when you're ready, you take the elements. When that happens, I want you to read that over and over again, that God so loved me, that God's thought so much of me, that God so cared for me, that he sent his son to give up his entire existence for me. And then he rose from the grave to spend eternity with me in heaven. If no one else says anything kind to you today, if no one else speaks life into you today, I want you to hear this, that God so loved you that he gave up his son so that you could be with them for eternity.